It is my pleasure and honor to welcome everyone to the next version of the big picture set of conversations where Iron Pillar interviews or has candid conversations with our portfolio CEOs and members of the Iron Pillar Network and the Iron Pillar family. So in that context, it is my privilege to, to welcome Sima Sadasiva, who's the co-founder and CEO of Usher, our newest portfolio company. So welcome Sima to the show, to the big picture. Thank you, Mohanjit. It's a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy talking to you, so I'm looking forward to this. So let's dive right in. You've had a, a fascinating and phenomenal journey. Just take me through you know, your, your, your life and uh, especially your technology life and eventually co-founding Usher. So if I were to segment my entire work experience, the first, uh, I would say third of my career, 20 plus year career was largely building really groundbreaking software as an engineer and then moved over into management and really uh, understood the nuts and bolts of building teams and uh, all the uh, trial by fire of being a leader. And then the second uh, part of my career has been mostly focused on entrepreneurship and, you know, learning all about, you know, being scrappy and taking concepts and, and, and taking them out to market. So um, hopefully getting better by the day. I think the most interesting way to start this is uh, with a fun fact that I had never sat in an airplane until I was 23 years old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so my first uh, trip uh, on an airplane was on a plane ride from Bangalore to New Delhi to actually get a South Korean uh, visa. So I was born and raised in Bangalore in a middle-class family. Uh, my parents put me through a really good education. I graduated from computer science from Bangalore University. I worked in consulting at one of the companies that was an up-and-coming company. Most people have heard Infosys and Wipro. Uh, there was this company called BFL Software, which is now Emphasis. I was the 40th employee for BFL. Today, BFL is probably at least 35, 40,000 employees, maybe more. First three, four years was largely, you know, doing some really good work for brands like uh, Samsung and Compaq here in the US. And then I got recruited into Bell Labs, got married to my girlfriend who we were dating for about seven plus years and then got married, came to the U.S. with a job offer, $400, the quintessential immigrant story that you would hear, no different. Uh, came to Chicago and uh, was in Chicago for about a couple of years working for Lucent Technologies at the time. And I wanted to not be in the Midwest, so I came to the real happening place from... Right a software perspective, and then took a, a, a founding engineering job at uh, this company called Veraz Networks through my good friend who was working with me at uh, Bell Labs, who had also moved to the Valley and joined Veraz at the time. And that is Henry Peter, my co-founder today. So Got we it. were both uh, founding engineers at Paul's company, Veraz Networks, and we were fortunate to be part of a rocket ship ride, took the company public in about seven years. Amazing experience of scaling teams, scaling a business, lots of battle scars from supporting customers in 40 different countries. Talk about, uh, you know, not having flown on an airplane after my role at Veraz, I have lived in 
four different countries, traveled to at least 40 plus countries and have had the time of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then fast forward from Viraz to, to Usher, I guess, um, what triggered that uh, particular transition? Viraz, we were mostly building uh, voice-based infrastructure for carriers all over the world. So the work that we did in the industry kind of commoditized voice and made voice uh, become really accessible. Before mm. consumer wipe happened, there was a lot of wipe infrastructure that was built in the carrier network. That was what actually made voice really become cheaper. But during my career at Viraz in the late 2000s, the world was changing right in front of our eyes. Mm. Uh, with the ubiquity and the availability of the mobile device, with the ability to create content by anybody and everybody, with the advent of social media, where everyone was like, you know, empowered to make up their own news. Now we have a different problem with the fake right. news and all that, but right. suffice it to say, all these trends where things were evolving at such a fast pace, I think we were quick to see that consumer behavior also was evolving along with that. Our attention span to long forms of interactions were changing. I tuned into this and the aha moment really for me was when a friend texted me and asked permission to call me. Is it okay to call you? I was like, when was it required for you to ask my permission? You know, you can call me anytime. If I'm busy, right. you go to voicemail and I'll respond back. But I saw that that was... Um, early leading indicator on the fact that consumer behavior was evolving and changing. I came up with this term called micro-engagement, uh, akin to micro-blogging, which is what mm. Twitter is all about, right? So our attention span to short forms of interactions were more likely to result in responsiveness from the person you're trying to reach. And so I coined the word micro-engagement, and I felt that with the evolution of this consumer behavior, there was an opportunity for us to enable businesses to interact with their constituents, employees, end customers, whosoever they have a relationship with, to enable and drive these uh, micro-engagements. So that was the starting point. We tuned in into some of those leading indicators of how things were evolving. And I saw that there was an opportunity for us to build a platform. So this was in the 2014-2015 time, time period. Henry and I were thinking about this particular problem and changing behavior. And we said, I think there's an opportunity here to build something. So we quit our jobs and then took the plunge into what we know today is Usher. Transitioning a little bit to now you've been part of, I guess, three different, maybe multiple, but at least three different um, companies that have gone through at least a upward trajectory. So BFL back in back in India, Viraz, of course, having a great run there. Now Usher from founding to, you know, through a Series A and now a Series B. And so as you think about your journey, as you think about sort of startups uh, in in general, what do you think it takes for for startups to actually be be successful? Uh, I think you'll hear uh, venture capitalists like Vinod Khosla talk so much about serendipity and luck how that's such a big deal. And I do tend to agree. It's a culmination of a few different things that have to all come together, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you need to be working on 
the right problem statement, right? Don't solve any problem that's not worth solving. Make sure that you know the the the, the opportunity is worth going after. And is this the right timing? Uh, are we the right people who can build this? Those are all things that uh, you know we we think about because when Henry and I were thinking about. Uh, starting a company and we knew that this was a problem we wanted to solve we can build the technology we can market the technology and we can um, recruit the right uh, team because i do believe that uh, the founding team and the dna that you bring on early on is is what enables you to succeed down, down downstream as well Got it. Um, and a few things have to come together for all of it to evolve into becoming a real company. And for Usher, at Usher for us, it has been a fairly organic evolution. I would say when we started, uh, it was just Henry and I, and then uh, raised a very, very small friends and family round. I mean, mm -hmm. I have had the benefit of uh, uh, chatting with a very dear friend that you also know. We were actually going on a hike here in uh, Cupertino, uh, the Rancho San Antonio Park. Sure, sure. So Sridhar Chandrasekhar and I mm. are good friends. So Sridhar and I were on a hike and I was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? He was like, love it. Absolutely makes sense. Go ahead, do it. I will invest. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have friends like Sri there. Absolutely. Wonderful. And another friend who actually is a very successful uh, entrepreneur himself. Uh, uh, his name is Haim. Uh, I pitched the idea to him over a coffee in uh, uh, Mission Coffee. Yeah. You know, the $25,000 check, right? You know, without thinking, you know, I think these things happen only here in the Valley. We would go and pitch to people just to get their feedback. And they would ask if there's an investment opportunity and if they could back us. Before we knew within three weeks time, we had uh, you know about $600,000 of seed investment that came through. Um, we went to pitch to the then CIO of Tesla. He was like, hey, is there an investment opportunity? Love the idea. I think that there's something here. I, I would love to you know, support you and help you and wrote a $100,000 check. The amazing thing here, though, Sima, is is they were not necessarily backing the idea, right? They were backing backing you, because uh, you know all of these folks that you've talked about, you know, whether as investors or themselves potentially as entrepreneurs, know that things change and things pivot, and what you write in your business plan, if you have a business plan, will almost you know never come come true exactly. I mean, kudos to you because obviously you had built a relationship, a rapport, a reputation with, uh, you know, with these individuals who are willing to, to back you, you know, after a, a 15 minute or 30 minute coffee. It's not just you, the founders, right? You need to have a team that you can actually bring on to, to, to actually help you get there. So for us, I think we have organically grown uh, first two years, first three years, I would say we never raised an institutional round. We were very um, scrappy. We spent less than a million and a half in building the core product. We had our first two, three customers by the time using our product, you know, without us having raised a round. And mm -hmm. then after we raised a round, that's when we started to worry about other aspects of like bringing uh, the core team together and um, 
now now we have other uh, the next phase of our evolution right so we started to uh, think about product market fit and now we are uh, you know working on the go to market fit which is the next phase of the journey where you can actually apply specific uh, metrics to your customer acquisition so we have very organically grown that way we haven't forced anything serendipity is still a big part of this and that's mm. how you and i met